Good to see everyone. Uh, no one living under the duress of an ice storm or a, no electric, no internet. Um, <laughs> I hear more complaints about no internet than I did the electric, the water, or the ice storm, just to be honest with you. So, uh, no water, you know, it was very trying time. No, no high water now. So, um, yet I did hear this week, um, Brother Dave Goodall and Vicki uh, had a house fire. And uh, not bad, but, but not severe, but still bad. Um, you know, they're, they're not able to live in their house. But uh, we thank God that it wasn't totally destroyed. Dave said this week, he said, maybe it would have been better if it had been. We'd have got rid of all the stuff we've hoarded over all these years. <laughs> and so, uh, I thought that was good, so... Uh, I uh, been gone for a couple weeks. I did something last Sunday that I have really not done since I've been pastor here. Uh, I had a friend of over, wow, probably forty. Trying to add it up, at, at least forty-five years. Um, I've hunted with him for. All those years, deer hunted every year, and a few years ago he was called to preach, and I've tried to help him and give him literature. In fact, uh, he planted a church just recently and started his own. Uh, God led him, and uh, I took him our constitution, um, our bylaws, uh, our financial statement, so that he would have something to build upon, not just pull out a rabbit out of a hat and try to, you know, give him a, a leg up and some, not that he verbatim is going to use our stuff, but it give him something to build upon. And he's asked me for quite some time to come and preach for him. And I told him, I said, I don't leave my home church, uh, my obligation to do that on a Sunday morning and he just kept no we want you on a Sunday morning when the majority of our people are are here and he running about 70 probably I'd say and uh, I said I, I I just don't do that but I'll tell you what I will do I'll do it on the front end or the tail end of a vacation so that you know I'm on it's and so we did and wow they Probably had 70 people there last week for a new church. I thought it was amazing, especially during COVID. Um, so, you know, it, God blessed, and um, uh, it, we just had a good time in the Lord getting to be with him. And, and uh, I, I appreciate that opportunity. I, I go from time to time and do homecomings or some special something for someone, but... I love my church. Uh, I don't take it lightly um, not being here. Uh, I, I, I folks make such flippant decisions about missing church and, and things that take place of church and um, leaving church and going somewhere else. And, and I, I, I think I tell folks that leave this church that are moving out of the area and going for a job, they ask my advice and say, what do, you, what do you think about that preacher? I say, you better go find you a church before you worry about a job somewhere. 
And I believe that to be true because to me, church is the most important thing in your life um, apart from your family. God ordained the home before he ordained the church, but church is important. And the church you choose um, is more important than a job that you take somewhere. And you may not agree with that, but you will one of these days. Um, whenever you find out you're in somewhere that, that does not have sound doctrine or and you're struggling with what Kelly talked about, security, or you're struggling um, with something in, in a church that you didn't check out and just went there because of the program or the worship or something. Uh, I, I, so anyhow, that's all free. <laughs> it's nice to hear. Uh, I, I, I helped shut the doors this morning because of someone's child screaming in the back that didn't want to go to class. I love that noise <laughs> to know that our kids are, and I'm very appreciative of the folks that are making that happen. And um, back in the classrooms uh, last week and then again this week is we know what to expect a little more and are able to facilitate that and have more people involved and, and see what's transpiring. I mean, Charlie and Alcia and and Mark and and Anna and Candace just I I get overwhelmed you know with them making that happen and and I appreciate those those efforts and so as we move forward um I I don't know about you but I so look forward to where there's no tension no polarization about mass, not mask. I, I'm I'm so sick of the enemy using this to divide the church and people that don't come here and have actually went other places because of that tension. I mean, I know we've lost families through this and folks that are not sitting here this morning um, because of what we've done, and there's folks that are sitting here before because of what we've done, and and it's just I'm sick of the tension. Of the what the enemy has done through all of this, and so I so look forward to the day um, where we can go back to just having church. And I, I'm uh, that's I mean I, I I experienced the worst of COVID, and I know it's real, and I don't want anyone sick, especially as sick as I was. Uh, when Linda shoved me out of the car, which she did, you know, you believe that. But, um, took her feet and said, get out, you know. Uh, I honestly did not think I would come out of the hospital um, other than a body bag. Um, so I understand, and we don't want anyone sick, uh, but we go this week and get our uh, second vaccination. I'm not looking forward to it. Um, I did get sick. Uh, and have the chills, but I'd take it seven times this morning um, not to go through what I went through with COVID, and, and, and I would advise you to also, and yet I'm not going to think any less of you if you never get vaccinated. Um, that's, that's your prerogative. If you don't wear a mask, that's your prerogative. I, I, I understand all the ins and outs, um, and yet, and yet um, we know it's real, and I hope Thank God to this day we have not lost anyone that was in this service um, and, and got COVID here and knock on my wooden head, you know, uh, trust God that, that that maintains that 
situation. So uh, we're happy to see the restrictions being lifted. And I know I'm rattling on, and that's okay, I can. Uh, being lifted around the nation, a sign of things are improving, and um, less cases, less death. Uh, proof that, in my opinion, the vaccine is working. So, I'm also thankful. I, I don't. I don't know where Michael is at, um, but the messages as he's kicked off our series on Easter, uh, it's something that we're resourcing from a series that J.D. Greer has a Bible study on um, entitled Easter. And wow, what a message he preached last Sunday morning. Um, If you have not heard that, uh, the passion that he had in it, um, I I felt like I needed to resign. You know, that's, uh, uh, wow, what a, Michael, you did a great job. Um, And we appreciate Michael. I, I, I could not do what we do um, as we look forward to having to rebuild this church in the coming months and I mean that I, I think we're going to have to rebuild um, uh, I couldn't do all I do without Michael and Sarah uh, she doesn't get enough credit uh, and, and we're thankful to have them So, but uh We are also happy, as Michael announced this morning, to announce two services Easter Sunday morning to to accommodate what we anticipate uh, as a crowd to be here. We we would love to see 300 people here for those two services on Sunday morning, and and we just trust and believe God that folks are wanting to get back in church um, and desire to what we missed last year uh, to have you know, uh, Easter service. So I'll stop the commercial and go to the message. Uh, Michael preached the first week of this series on betrayed for me. Uh, Really, um, when speaking about it, how similar we really are to Judas uh, in the aspect of betrayal, we folks walk away from God a whole lot for a whole lot less than thirty pieces of silver. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, uh, we're more like Judas than 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 we like to believe. Just to be honest with you, uh, then last week, forsaken for me. Wow. Those two subject matters are two of the harshest things we as individuals face in life as being betrayed and forsaken. Um, it, it, it's a, two of the most hellacious things that an individual can deal with in their life is being betrayed or forsaken and to think that God through his son did that for me. And, and if you don't believe that to be true, I, I'll have anyone that's been married and been betrayed through adulterous affair stand and testify this morning um, of what that done to them for life, not something that they get over, um, but betrayed and then forsaken and left through a divorce 
to raise their family or their kids as a single parent um, and then to realize that Christ was betrayed and forsaken for me. Um, it, it, it's just, it, it is compassionate. It, it is something that, that brings out the deep inner thoughts that Michael expressed last week. And, and I'm just, wow. Then, this morning, we will discuss the aspect of accused for me. Uh, we talked about Wednesday evening in, in small group study, and if you're not attending Brandon's or, or Larry's or, or somebody's small group study, I'd encourage you to do that. There is really some good conversation uh, I've gotten into this study with with Larry and just uh, I'm enjoying it because it's one of John Piper's best talking about the Word of God being the inspired Word of God and, and the truth. And yet we talked about Wednesday evening the mystery of God's Word. And when you think about how if the Bible had been written by men... Now, you think about that. We, we say what well, was written by Ben. No, it was God-breathed book by the Holy Spirit, not written by men, just penned by men. And so when you think about that, how much different the Bible would have looked if it had not been God-breathed by the Holy Spirit to those. It still shows some of their character traits. It shows some of their personalities, however the major and the most obvious being salvation through betrayal, through forsaken, through false accusations, a mock trial, uh, the cross and grace, and I could go on and on and on because in my opinion, if, if the Bible had been written by man, it could have really been about two paragraphs long and said something to the effect, um, he's a good person, she was a good person, and they merit salvation because of their good deeds because that's about what 90% of the whole world thinks salvation is. They don't have a clue. that, that They talk about a cross. They talk about salvation by grace through faith. But when it comes right down to it, they were a good person. You can go 90 funerals out of 100, and they're going to say that this individual's in heaven because they were a good person based on their own merit. And let me tell you something about your own merit. And, and you're going to get mad, and I'm going to burst your bubble. But all your righteousness is as filthy rags. And I didn't say that. Bless God said that. Amen. And go look at and read it in Isaiah. You don't merit heaven based on your good works. You don't keep your salvation based on your good works. If so, you'd lose it every day. You keep your salvation simply because of the grace of God that he saves you and preserves you and secures you through the process of eternal life. And eternal life today is eternal life tomorrow. And if you sin, then you need to be on your knees, as John said, and confess your sin and trust, or trust that God forgives you 
we, he said. So with all of that, that's the obvious of what the Bible would look different if we had written it instead of God and devised the plan. However, when you look at the accusations against you or against uh, Christ and the trial that follows the betrayal and the forsakenness, Matthew 27, and, and you need to go home and make it a, 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 a plan to between now and, and Easter Sunday morning, read the last three chapters of all the Gospels and just look at what transpired, and it'll prepare you for an Easter service. Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2 and 11 through 14, Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate's like a governor. He'd be standing before, our, you know, and he, a judge, so to speak, the final judge. Pilate had the final say in Jesus' crucifixion. He, he could have chose not to, and it would not have happened. It would have happened because God chose it to happen that way. However, he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, it is as you say. He didn't say, yes, I'm king of the Jews. He said, it is as you say. And then Pilate responds, do you not hear what they are accusing or saying about you? And Jesus says not a word. He, did, he didn't utter one word. And I think Pilate was amazed by that. It even states that he was astonished. He, he couldn't comprehend. Here's a man being accused of all these things and he's not defending himself. He's not, he's not standing up for himself. He's not saying, I didn't say that that way. He's not, he's not looking for someone to defend him. And when you look at that whole situation and, and what takes place, then you turn to verse, uh, verse 22, and Pilate asked the crowd, What shall I do with Jesus this one who is called the Christ. You ever stood before a judge? Come down to the verdict? <laughs> I, I, sad to say, I've been there multiple times. Or have a lawsuit to where you stand to lose a whole lot? I have done that too. And waiting on a verdict, on a decision. Christ was there, accused. And the crowd provides the verdict, not the judge. He just approves what they say. Let him be crucified. We've heard how he was betrayed by Judas forsaken for us, and now we just read in those few verses how he was accused for us. And Matthew's account, if you read it and look at it closely, points out at least six injustices 
that took place during the proceeding of Jesus' trial. To where that if it was one of us or one of our children, we would be screaming from the rooftops and they'd have to drag us out. We'd have to get Perry and Bill to get us by the arms and take people out. Kicking and screaming because of the injustice of what transpired with ourselves or one of our kids in the trial that Christ went through. First, they convened at night with no advance notice. Now, that alone, if that happened to one of us, I'll promise you we'd be speaking out. We'd be upset. In fact, it was illegal by Jewish law. And yet that's the first thing that they did as an injustice when he was accused. Second, the judges were clearly partial. When you look at it from that perspective, they act not only as judges, but also they are the prosecutors. (laughs) How would you like for the guy that's prosecuting you for a crime to sit and stand before an empty pulpit or an empty uh, backstop of, of no one sitting there and say, we're accusing you of this, this, and this, and this? And then take off his suit and go around and put on his black robe and say, now I'm going to make a, a judgment on what that looks like. Think about what, what really transpired here. These Sanhedrin, these scribes and these Pharisees who were accusing Christ and yet they're the one that says let him be crucified and cast the judgment on him. Wow. Third, the witnesses were proven to be liars, contradicting not only each other, but eventually themselves. (laughs) No justice. And yet, their testimony was accepted. How would you feel about that, going to court tomorrow morning, knowing that this was, or sometime after midnight tonight, knowing that this is what's going to transpire. Fourth, the counter-testimony from those like Nicodemus was ignored. The case should have been thrown out, which is what we would expect in a normal trial in this day and age. Or, or at least it was unfair and, and should have been delayed while that these testimonies could be collaborated. And that didn't happen either. Fifth, the sentencing was heavy-handed. Crucify him. Crucify him. Sixth, they were coerced or blackmailed, Pilate was, into giving them what they wanted. Pilate, you know, just asked them, prosecutor, then judge, Obviously, it was not fair, impartial, clearly unjust. And yet, yet, here we just read that Christ did not say a word. He didn't even answer the accusers which ought to, in your mind, sitting here this morning or listening online, 
you ought to say, why? Why did Jesus not speak up? Was he conceding to guilt? I mean, that's what we say when most people don't testify at their own trial. They don't want to be cross-witness because they don't want to perjure themselves and be proven guilty. I say no, it wasn't that he was conceding to guilt because we know that he was sinless. And the things that they were accusing him of Obviously, he was not guilty. So what is happening here? What transpires? Jesus saw through behind the chief priests and elders that God the Father was pointing a finger at him. Guilty, yes, but accused for us of our sin, your sin, my sin. You let that sink in as to what really transpired that night. What was taking place? Jesus was being accused for me, for my lies, for my coveting, for my pride for my drugs, for my alcohol, uh, for, for my hidden, dark, devious sin that no one knows anything about. Jesus understood he was not being tried for his sin, but for our sin that day. Jesus was bearing the shame and scoffing rude as the song so vividly takes, uh, uh, takes us to a place in condemned he stood. Yes, hmm. that he sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Wow. Huh. I'm glad somebody said amen. Everybody in here ought to be shouting. Amen. <laughs> Everybody here ought to be praising God and saying, Whoopee! We're redeemed. We're redeemed. Amen. When you look at it, if everything about you, I, our sin, I wish I could do this by just, you know, snapping my fingers and I dream of Jeannie, but I wish there was some way we could take and just... Not to embarrassment, but to take and put clippets of everybody here of our sin on the board this morning, the screen. Just do it as a movie. We'd all duck our head in shame. We all, because of the guilt, hopelessly guilty, would be embarrassed. We would bury our heads. Some would even get up and leave the room because of the fact that Jesus was accused for me and stood silent. Accepting the guilt that the screen would show. 
the shame that we should endure. And most of us often hear those voices of, a, of, of condemnation. It runs through our minds of our past and the things that we've done. The, the, the screen of our minds would be put up on show this morning of our past mistakes, of those that had committed a murder or someone that had committed adultery or someone that had been involved in theft of those that have maliciously with our own tongue slayed people, accused and stood silent. Present shortcomings and past sins. Truth that leads us to denial, to sometimes depression, or even cover up. Christ took it upon himself and said not a word. But you must understand every last one of our sins that would show on that screen this morning was placed on Christ. Him accused and judged for us was forever settled that day. Jesus wasn't just dying for us. He was dying instead of us. And the death and hell that you should pay was redeemed is the correct word that day because he said not a word and took our place. Take a deep breath and take that in this morning. Take a deep breath and think about the love of God, how how vast and pure, how marvelous that it shall endure, the love of God. Because He, He, His Son was accused for us. There was three groups of people that Matthew, who obviously was there, discusses of, of people that we can translate in our own minds to sitting here this morning. And I want you to see if you can relate to these three groups, and then I'll close. First, we have the proud. Those were the Sanhedrin. Those were these powerful people that obviously were making the accusations They had problems existing with Jesus in the same society. Their pride was exposed and their lofty positions was being threatened. It was all about control. Boy, we've heard that word a lot in the last 12 months. All about their positions, all about what they didn't want exposed. Their pride was that it was all being threatened. And Jesus taught that they were no better than anyone else. That they were no better than any sinner in need of forgiveness and a Savior. And that still ought to ring true today to the proud. Religious people are often offended by Jesus' teaching that they are no better than anyone else. They have nothing to bring to the table. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Isaiah said. 
another part of Corona I hope I get over soon. Hopeless and helpless and grace the only answer. But yet it offends the proud. We accept grace as the only answer or we live in opposition to God. And that's the bare truth. And if you are thinking that there is anything other than grace and the accomplishments of Christ and the cross, there is no in-between other than opposition. The Sanhedrin was in opposition because of pride and Jesus had to go. And let me ask a question. When through God the preaching of His Word, the reading of your Bible, He points out to you your sin and convicts you of your wrongdoing. Do you get defensive? Or do you confess in humility and repent? Proud people push back. Proud people lie about the existence of sin in their life. Proud people defend what they do that offends God. Proud people connive and lie instead of humility and confess. Second, we have the distracted represented by Pilate in chapter 27 and verses 22. One of the biggest scandals in all of government was Pilate's actions that day at the trial of Christ. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent, and yet he consents to the crucifixion anyway. Why? Because he didn't care about justice. He cared about his own hide and his own position and his own place in government. He lied He tells them to do with Jesus as you will. He was more concerned with appeasing a crowd and stopping upheaval within government than doing what was right. (laughs) I could go on and on about that in this day and age. Don't care what the Bible says. Anyone ever identify with Pilate? Pilate didn't reject Jesus. He was distracted from the truth by indifference. He didn't want any trouble. He didn't want to lose his position. He represents those of us sitting here this morning that are engulfed or overwhelmed with your own circumstances or or the cares of self-interest of this life, more concern than to compare or care about Jesus or make a bold decision to live a life for Christ or accept Him as Savior. Don't give enough to... appease but never get involved attend sporadically to church or won't trust Christ because it will get in the way of your interests or hobbies don't reject just won't act 
<coughs> on your need to trust Christ. Distraction sends more people to hell than anything else in this world today. More people away from church than rejection ever will, with the statement being made, I will someday, and yet someday never comes. Let me tell you, there's an old sermon out by an old pastor that says, Someday's coming. Judgment is coming someday. Third, we have the despaired, the part played by Barabbas, a murderer. I have more respect for Barabbas than either of the other two crowds. Barabbas, a murderer, a thief, a menace to society. And his story is found in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 27 there in Matthew. Pilate offers a prisoner to go free. He wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary to help Christ or what he thought might have helped Christ. It was simply a tradition of Passover to let someone walk free. A pardon, yes. And he lets them choose the folks that had just convicted and unjustly asked for a sentence of crucifixion between Barabbas and the notorious terrorist, so to speak. Remember, Barabbas was rightfully convicted. It was not a mock trial. Yet this day, he the guilty, he the rightfully convicted, got to walk free. And Jesus, the wrongfully accused, for us, the innocent, was sentenced to die. One must stop and wonder if later that day, when we were there in 2013, we was able to have communion where we could look at the tomb, the spot of the tomb, and yet in the background, you could see Golgotha. Just had to turn and look off to the side, the place of the skull where he was crucified. One must stop and think that Barabbas had to stop and think that could have been me. Maybe he looked back on that hill where Jesus hung, feet and hands nailed. And just say, except for the grace of God, that could have been me. And all of us who have trusted Christ ought to stop and see ourselves in Barabbas. All of us ought to think that could have and should have been me. He, Jesus the innocent, accused for me the guilty, dying for me. Jesus, as I said, did not just die for us. He died instead of us that we might live. 
Death on earth is not a conviction of our sin. It's simply a gate to life eternal. So the question you must consider is, which of these three groups do you find yourself in? If you're here this morning, friend, don't let the pride keep you from Jesus. Don't allow religion to be a crutch that you lean on for your salvation. Be willing to own your sin, to confess your sin, and allow God through the death of Christ to be willing to forgive us our sin. You need the grace of God more than you need your self-righteousness this morning. You need the grace of God more than you need your good works. You need the grace of God more than you need your church membership or your water baptism. You need the blood of Christ applied to your life by simply confessing I'll trust you as my Savior and ask you to forgive me of my sin. You need to be willing to acknowledge, as they sang this morning, your need for a Savior. Don't be distracted. How are you going to respond to the offer Jesus put before you about receiving it? Or are you going to walk away as Pilate did and try to wash your hands of the matter? That's an impossibility because this morning, if you're sitting here in this room, will become and brought to your remembrance someday when you stand before God that you had an opportunity to trust Christ as your Savior. You won't have the excuse, I did not know. And last, are you in the company of the despaired? Bless God, I was one day as a 19-year-old kid. Never lived in my mother's house from the time I was 16 on. Rebellious, hellacious, Involved in stuff that I wouldn't, I'm not willing. <laughs> they love to come and still get me. I don't know if the statute of limitations run out on what I did. Forgiven. The despaired. The good news is that you can be because Jesus was tried, accused and convicted and died for you and me. This is the story of Easter. This is what we are here for in church. We don't come here just in order to say we had church. We come here in order to propagate the gospel of Christ to those that are unsaved and tell the story to us over and over again so that we don't forget and are reminded that he was betrayed forsaken and accused and died for us. And every time that self-righteousness raised its ugly head, we are brought to remembrance that it's Christ and the cross that made the difference. Easter 
is 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 not just a story of colored eggs. Easter is not just a story of decorations and Easter lilies and little dresses and little boy suits or hats and, and meals and a bunny and candy. Nothing wrong with all of that. In fact, I think it's a good way to promote Easter in some aspects as long as that cross isn't left out. As long as the resurrection isn't left out. He didn't just die. That stuff is fine, but don't miss out on the fact that he was accused for you. And you have received him. And if you haven't received him, will you put your faith and trust in him today? His death and punishment as a payment for your sin that God accepted. And as we'll talk about, I'm sure, in the weeks to come, he was resurrected and he now lives as a risen Savior. Let's stand.